Welcome to a new episode of the podcast, In Your Own Words, hosted by me, Pia, and brought to you by Common Sense and Radiqua. We have a brilliant guest on today, Aramide Youssef, and we will be talking about the angry black woman. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Hopefully, it'll be a really good session for you guys today. And again, I hope in our lighthearted atmosphere, you take something away from it or just learn something new. So, the angry black woman, what is the angry black woman and why is it such a popular term or phrase or idea these days? So, just to give you guys a little bit of insight, um, the angry black woman is a stereotype, um, The sorry, the angry black woman stereotype is a trope in uh, American society that portrays African American women as sassy, ill-mannered and ill-tempered by nature. And this has caused quite a stir in um, our societies these days. And a lot of black women are coming forward and saying that this stereotype doesn't portray them at all. And today we're going to get into it, the ins and outs. Does it exist in the UK? And if it does, what is it like for people in the UK to go through that? And if black women feel like they can show their true nature as such. So to get into it, would you like yes. to introduce yourself a little bit for yeah. our wonderful audience? So my name is Aramide. I am 24 years old. I live in Manchester. Questioned um, herself there. She has to think about age. <laughs> it was a recent, you know, turn of a new age. But yes, I live in Manchester. I work in higher education and I studied medical biology at university. Anything else you want to know? No, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like and that's I am a, good a black basis. woman. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we should probably, we haven't just got on someone random to talk about this angry black woman stereotype. <laughs> but um, yeah, to get into it, straight into it, do you think it exists in the UK? Absolutely. I think in the society that we live in, everyone is put into a box. And traditionally, I guess we've seen from millennia now, black women tend to be masculine, masculinated, in, if that's a word. Where we'll take it as a word. Yeah. <laughs> where it's easier to look at them through a certain lens than to actually make the effort mm. to understand who black women are and where they fit into our society. Because if, let's say, you see an angry black woman, and you see, well, if you see a wo black woman and you look at her through that trope, then it's easier to ignore their words. It's easier to rationalise their pain. It's easier to compare them to against their counterparts, but see them through um, a less human lens, I can say. Because if I'm speaking to you right now as a black woman and I share my pain, it's not going to be regarded because you're going to think I'm angry. Maybe I'm overpassionate. Maybe actually um, I need to toughen up. But other women are afforded the 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 license to feel the license mm -hmm. to share the license to be acknowledged but if you're seen as angry then you're seen as someone who actually you're not rational you've not really thought 
things through. You're emotional. And so anything that you have to say is coming from a point of view of emotion rather than logic, rather than intelligence. And as we've seen over and over again, it's just easier to silence black women mm-hmm. and not to listen to us through the lens of you're just angry and that's it. Do you think that that has been shown through things like media, through like here and America, to be honest, but through even celebrities, like I would say, the big thing that comes to mind when I think of this, how black women are disregarded is definitely um, the whole situation with like Rihanna Taylor and things Mm -hmm. like that. You see constantly how they are disregarded and almost victims they are mm-hmm. twisted and all of a sudden it's they're not the victims anymore it's they deserved that almost like yeah. they are do you feel like you're at almost like a bottom of a hierarchy i see a lot on twitter black women and the black community that say black women are just disregarded their feelings even yeah. by black men by their own communities they have to fight for themselves Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's seen every day. It's seen in all facets of society. Think about um, Serena Williams. Every time she's passionate in the court, it's not seen as, oh, this person is talented. It's usually, oh, she's aggressive. You know, she's bigger mm-hmm. than her opponents. Why don't we fixate on that rather than her achievements? Or look at someone like Megan Thee Stallion, who was shot in the foot yeah. by... I keep thinking, saying his name is Tory Lanez, but it's not, it's Tory Lanez. I say um, Lanez. And he is a black man, mm-hmm. and he shot her. And when the news came on Twitter, what did we first hear? Oh, she's bigger than him. In her music, she talks that, she, you know, she talks in a manner that, you know, she mm-hmm. thinks she's about it. She's about that kind of gang life. Mm-hmm. And she got shot in the foot, and people laughed about it. What if it was another woman It wasn't mm-hmm. black? Would we have had the same reception? Would we, ha- would we have had the same idea? Or would we be sympathetic to their pleas rather than thinking they deserved it? People said, like, in terms of that insta- um, incident, they compared it to if if Kylie Jenner was shot, yeah. what would happen then? And the, the interesting thing about that case, well, interesting and also disheartening, was that she had to prove it. Like, she, she had, had to. to go out of her way so that people would believe her. And I think as a woman and as a black woman, to have to go out of your way for someone to believe you when something horrible happens, you don't you don't deserve that you don't want that you have a right to be angry that's the thing we're saying this angry black woman they have a right to be angry you can be the angry mm-hmm. black woman you have every means to have that stereotype because yeah. you are there's so much that is against you you have to be fight to be heard yeah. literally you have to fight to be even given the opportunity to be heard some another woman might come to the table and say this is my case but as a black woman you have to fight through so much to even get to that table and then society says why are you an angry black woman why wouldn't i be because it's only when you're angry that that's when you've been uh, heard if you're quiet or or you're shy or maybe you're not i guess you don't fit into that stereotype people might even question the legitimacy of your blackness and so you have so many things you're fighting about even within the black community and you can't rely on, I guess, others within that same community to uphold you or to, or to, or to keep you or to, or to just keep you safe. You can't rely on that. It's really like a battle that you're essentially fighting by yourself. And that's not just happened with our generation, but with our yeah. mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And so I understand wh- how that stereotype and that trope has come about. And, then, and I understand the necessity of it, even in this age. For you, what has it been like growing up as a black woman in the UK, I know you mentioned earlier that you lived in a predominantly white area mm-hmm. and um, now you're here in Manchester, so I'm assuming it is a little bit more diverse, I would say. 
do you feel like your experiences have been the same in terms of having that stereotype, having to fight for your rights, for your voices? Absolutely. Um, for the first 10 years of my life, I grew up in Nigeria. And in a country where everyone is black, uh, or most people are black, you, you're not a black girl, you're a girl. Mm. And then I came to this country and I live in a predominantly white, um, white area. And that's the first time I ever realized I was black. And already that there were stereotypes about me. Yeah, because I didn't listen to rap and I didn't know how to twerk. And oh, wow. Is that, yeah. what, they, is that what they asked yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, wow. And like, and I remember some of my friends, my white friends would expect me to be a certain way. And when I wasn't, it'd be like, oh, let's just go into the next black person who would be that way. And I even remember around being around my cousins and they'd be like, oh, you know, you're a bit of a coconut, aren't you? Coconut. Like, Yeah. Well, they'll be like, um, oh, you're so white. And having to navigate that in terms of not feeling like you're accepted mm. by black people, but not also, obviously, I am not white. It's mm. quite clear. <laughs> but then I came to university, and when I did, I was surrounded by black people. And I f remember feeling so intimidated because I'm like, mm. they will see me as a fraud. They will find that I'm not part of them. But actually, being around other black people has helped me realize the power of standing true to my identity. Yeah. Um, because in other places where my identity isn't recognized or seen for a certain lens of being a black person, I felt ignored. I felt covered. I felt like no one could see me. But around my black friends, essentially, I'm like, oh, this as aspect of me that I would have tried to hide before, that, that's exactly what they're showing. What is so interesting, you said that thing about the coconut... Um perception which I do heavily relate to in some senses and it's very interesting because I had this conversation with my friend and mm. she was saying she was like well the thing is we've you know like I'm born in this country I've been raised in this country and you know I have like my white friends I've been told to integrate and now all of a sudden people are shunning me by saying that I'm a coconut when actually everything to this point has made me a coconut like why is it so yeah. wrong to say oh, you're not stereotypically brown or you're not stereotypically black. Why is that wrong? We are, we've been born to be integrated almost. Yeah. And then when we do, it's uh, all of a sudden like, actually, you're not being true to your culture or you're shunning it. Like you don't want to be like brown or you don't want to be black and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because that's not what it is at all. It's so it's so far from that, it's so different from that, it's just like, you just don't want to do, it's not even, sorry, it's not even that you don't want to do, but you might not like the, what is considered stereotypical activities or things that your community does. Absolutely, and I think a lot of the time, those tropes are perpetuated by the same people in your community, like in the yeah. black community, and I remember going on Twitter this morning, um, and I saw an article about uh, Jaden Smith, who, you know, people see him as a bit weird, as a bit alternative. And people like, you don't give black people the space to be who they are. Because when you see them being different, you shun them and you say, Why? well, you don't fit with us. But to the rest of the world, black is black. <laughs> Blackity, blackly black. Like no one else can tell at all. But it's essentially the people within your own group that perpetuate mm -hmm. certain stereotypes that, for example, like you said, 
a lot of black men or black women also see black women as angry but actually if you want to be alternative if you like anime for example if you're vegan like i am you are know, you vegan yes that that's something that people are looking like but why Mm. and actually you realize that the stereotypes don't just start with other races or other groups or other societies a lot of the time they are perpetuated maintained and essentially fed by the people in our society and in our groups 100% that it's our communities that keep these stereotypes flowing yes a lot of the times anyway not all the time (laughs) yeah we'll say for the purpose of this we'll say yeah not not all the time because obviously like we said everybody's experiences are different but um, I understand heavily where you come from, that it comes from these communities, these like, how we're meant to portray ourselves. And then if you're not like that, you're shunned. Like psychologically, you're not in our group anymore. Yeah, you're so where do you fit in? Th- yeah, you're not in our box. So you're in this like stranded box where you are a black woman, but you're an alternative black woman, but you're also not that as well. And then from there, where do you go? Like, who are you part of? Who are you? Do you have a community to fit into? (laughs) Oh, you're pondering. I'm pondering. Would you say you have a community that you fit into or a group of people that you think... Yeah, I've I've asked, I think, the majority of people this same question. Do you have a group of people that you think, yeah, these are my people. These are, like, where I feel happiest and where I feel like I can be my most self. And going on from that, as a black woman, do you feel like you can ever just be yourself, like your normal self, like whether that would be like angry or emotional or like sad, do you feel like you can get to that point where you can show all those emotions and have no judgment for it or be called robotic or cold or, you know, dramatic? I feel the safest amongst black women, Mm. among black people. And regardless of maybe the experiences I've had in the past, I think being around like-minded individuals who are all different. Me and my friends, we don't all like the same things. We don't all watch the same things. We don't we don't all speak the same way. But we all give each other the space to be who we want to really be. And if I want to be angry, I want to be cold or upset, or I want to talk about things that even maybe they don't understand to educate them, they are all open-minded because mm-hmm. we all realize that actually we are fighting the same battles so why are we fighting against each other? And I think it's important to essentially put yourself in a group of people, not where you all think the same, but actually be the light in there to show them that actually things can be done different to look differently to, to how they see it. Because, um, it, I mean, let's say in the workplace, for instance, there's a remedy at work and there's a remedy at home. Mm, in the corporate world, difference. in the corporate world, I can't be me because the me doesn't fit mm. into the stereotype of who they want me to be. Who do they want you to be? They want me to be, I mean, they they want all of us to be censored. You know, you come to your job, Mm. you sit at your desk, you type away, you laugh at the jokes, you know, you go to the whatever, I don't know, things, yeah, the meetings (laughs) and the socials they have after work. And then you go home. You don't share your religious beliefs. You don't share your Mm. political beliefs. You don't share. Are you scared to, almost? Sorry, I interrupted you there a little bit. Um, Am I scared to? I just don't think that's the place where, it's not a safe space to share those kind of things. Mm. And especially as a black woman, if I am down, I can't trust anyone in there to hold me. And not physically hold me. <laughs> Let's put that there. But I can't trust anyone there to keep me, to carry me. Yeah. So you come to the job, you do your thing, and then you leave. And then during your weekends, that's when I guess you're, you're, the, you're the real you. Or when you're done, you know, you take off your human suit and, and, and then the real you is there. 
Wow, but I think everyone does that in the workplace. I don't think I'm alone, regardless of my color or my background. I think we all, mm-hmm. we all do that. It just depends whether or not you assimilate better into that culture or another. From, I just wanted to go back a step to ask more about like your past and growing up and coming from Nigeria to um, Kent, where you are now. Did you feel like there was, obviously you said there was like a stark difference, but did you feel almost like the stereotypes against you? Did you feel like you had to, like you couldn't act yourself at all, that you had to completely change your personality? Or you might have just fit in straight away. I can tell you for free, I did not fit in straight away. I remember once bringing Chin Chin to school. Chin Chin and like small, like doughy fried snacks. And a girl asked me, I'll never forget. She was like, Aramdi's eating dog feed. And I remember being like, oh my God. (laughs) Or even the time. That's like like, time to go back. Yeah. And like, for example, I've got like thick afro hair that I don't Mm. wash every single day and I remembered someone was she touched my hair she was like do you use dog shampoo in your hair and I didn't respond and then she was like she ran on the corridor she was like I remember they use this dog shampoo and I just remember that time or the fact that I would use H's when they don't need to be there like I say words like orange and someone called me out on it and she was like why did you say that but she said it loudly and I remember feeling really embarrassed and in that space considering that I think there was about 10 black girls in my year I didn't have any classes with any of them. So when I stood out, people were like, wait, oh yeah, you're definitely from Africa, from Africa. Uh, I'm not from African. (laughs) And I even remember having like, um, I don't know if I can say this, but I will say it anyway. I remember someone asked me- You say whatever you want, girl. Someone asked me if I came from Nigeria instead of Nigeria. Oh, okay. And yeah, but they did it on purpose because it could slip as an easy mistake to make. But in that time, I, I couldn't retaliate because- there was no one to back me. There was no one to say that was wrong. And if I had had an outburst, it would be, oh, another angry black girl. Do you think this all falls under this whole idea that we, we see on Twitter a lot of it that people say this whole idea that um, the UK is silently racist. It's Absolutely. swept under the rug. Like, it's not stark difference. And I have friends that are from Ireland or, like, American. They say the difference is stark. You know if someone's racist or not because they're straight up. And they like that. Whereas here, it's swept under its little comments little passive aggressiveness little you know words here or there little actions and oh, then yeah. that all builds up suddenly and then it's only until you're older where you realize that was actually really messed up what it's happened covert. it's mm. covert they don't show it and the thing is also even the times when anyone like when you have an outburst it look you look a bit mad because it's like but no one's done anything to you. Yeah. They've not said the N-word. And I was like, there's so many different ways you can say it without saying the exact word. Are you allowed to be angry? Oh, no. You're not afford the space to be angry. Because if you are angry, no one else can see things through your eyes. If, let's say, for example, I, I had a covert racist encounter in the workplace. For example, in my workplace, someone asked me. They were like, oh, I've never seen one of you on the floor like on our on our floor and I'm the only black person on our floor one of you yeah and it was just kind of an awkward moment in the office and then the manager came over to me and was like I I recognized that and I saw that and a part of me was happy but at the same time I was like but why didn't you call that person out there right there and then because no one else in that room would have recognized that that was a slightly racist Mm -hmm. thing that you're doing so essentially in those kind of spaces you just have to be okay you have to choose can I be angry here but no one else would understand why or do I just stay silent and just let it go I think with the workplace it's a peculiar situation as well in terms of 
these are your colleagues, they're not your friends. Like some people don't want to be educated, even though you try. You could be like that person that I'm tired you know, of educating people. Yeah. And I you don't want to educate anybody. <laughs> I I came to this conclusion, I was talking to a lot of my friends about this. Why should you have to educate someone? Why should you go out of your way to make someone understand your point of view? Why can't they do that themselves? And I, I think especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, I thought a lot about this because there's a lot of there was a lot of white people on um tiktok yes unfortunately i use tiktok and i i I know i know i went down a dark (laughs) hole and i started using it and it is hilarious and i won't go back maybe um she says (laughs) (laughs) um but like there's loads of tiktoks of white women being like educate me like you know tell me what i did wrong tell me but why should black women even like brown women any ethnic minority why should they have to educate you why can't you go out there's resources out there this is the thing there are resources out there there's people experiences there's podcasts there's so much you playing like almost like a victim card saying oh someone needs to educate me no educate yourself that's what we've had to do we've had to you know like our parents our grandparents have had to educate themselves to assimilate into this country to like bond with people did I use the word right there assimilate I I think I did yeah thank you (laughs) um they've had to take the time to adjust to this country and come here or anywhere else like they've taken the time to like for their communities to bond you should also do that like it's not hard I think people think it's harder to go out there and learn but it's not like all we live in a digital age. Everything is online. You don't even have to go out your way to do it. You can search it on your phone. Yeah. You can search it on your phone. And I think hearing your story of like going through that, those little casual racism, it, it catches up with you it in does. your mind. It does. And personally, I don't see it as my responsibility to teach to teach someone to recognize my humanity. Yeah. I don't need you to I don't need to teach you that. And I think a lot of the time the responsibility is put on black people, Asian people, just people of color. I know I hate the term, but really it's it's the easiest one to use. Do you? To Why do you hate the term people? Because of color? it just puts us all into a box and it yeah. assumes that we're all striving for the same goal when the reality is we're not. But I don't see it as my responsibility to essentially put myself in a position where I am now under pressure or i now have to torment myself or 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 face things that Mm. or just bring up old things just so that you can feel acknowledged that you've been taught google is free beloved google is free (laughs) for everybody for you to find that information if you truly want to find it and this whole performative activism of standing with people of color standing does nothing but actually speaking up and using your um, privilege is what makes a change. So asking people to educate you is personally, I think it's lazy. I think it's, and I think it just trivializes, performative, and it just trivializes people's problems. This is something you can just learn on Google, but actually open your eyes because you wouldn't want to be treated in a certain way, but you're happy for others to be to be so yeah that casual racism as well i was just going to mention comes from such a a young age especially towards black women and i know um i wanted to touch a little bit upon like colorism because i had um a friend and she was from i think near watford um and she was telling me that she lived in a predominantly white area 
And I think one of her stories consisted of she was at school one day. She had a teacher. She was young. She was in a, you know, majority white school. And um, the teacher turned the lights out for, um, I think they were going to watch a movie. And she goes, oh, where's name of my friend? Mm -hmm. Because she was um, quite like darker skinned. Mm -hmm. And she tried to make a joke to insinuate that, oh, she's disappeared because she's black. And... I just, when she told me that story, I was so almost like triggered. I was like, how dare that happen to you? And how dare no one speak up about it? Because that that is outwardly disgusting. It and is. for everybody to laugh. And, you know, for her, she's she's got to think about that memory for the rest of, that, rest of her life. Whereas the others, that is a memory that they won't remember. They won't care. But she's got to keep that within her. She's got to keep that almost like trauma. It is traumatic. Yeah. And I think in terms of colorism, I think the only times I've ever really outwardly ex- experienced it is actually amongst black people. Um, because, for Fair. instance, my mum is a very different skin tone to me and it's been pointed out to me all my childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you don't look like your mum. Mm-hmm. Um, or in other ways, I was like, oh, wow, you're, you know, your skin is quite dark, isn't it? And and it's so easy to brush it off. But I remembered we were on holiday in New York and someone made that reference towards my little sister who looks more like me than, mm. m- than my parents. And I had to be there and be like, no, it's not okay. Because I can see it, but she can't. But it will start to add on to her. And one day she'll mm. realize that, oh, wait, they've been pointing out my skin tone. So is there something wrong with it? But I think colorism definitely exists in all spaces. It seems like the more melanin you are, the less um, desirable you are. And that doesn't mm. just exist in white spaces. It exists in Asian countries, mm. in, in American countries, Latin 100%. America, all over the world. And for me, it's like there is something, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say natural to this extent because I don't know no, why. No, it is. It's ingrained in our society. It is ingrained deeply into the hearts of people that have a more melanin in your skin somehow impacts your self-worth. It's such a, I think I, it's a topic that I hold quite close, to be honest. And um, so I, I I mentioned before in a previous podcast, um, sorry, episode, but I am Punjabi, um, Indian, and usually Punjabi, like, there's a variety of skin tones, but like lots of my um, people that I would like um, hang out with and were friends with, they were lighter skin toned. And like, mm-hmm. I remember in school, they used to make little comments here and there, two, two comments, just trying to say that, oh, like they're fairer, I'm darker, fairer is more desirable and things like that. And that built up in me. I, for a long time, didn't appreciate my skin tone I really didn't like it I was I was upset as well because um I've, I've spoken to my sister and mum about this but I don't touch upon too much of it now but they were I would say a, a lighter skin tone and even though my mum would used to say to me like this shouldn't hurt you this shouldn't affect you she's a bit stronger than me but I was very emotional about it like they would never understand I I felt a type of way about something that I can't control and it only took me until university to university to realize actually how beautiful my skin tone was and how I wasn't going to let it affect me but that whole desirability factor I think I think that also comes to play with everything that we were talking about with like um almost like the angry black woman and things like that because it's like the Meg the Stallion thing like compared to her compared to like Kylie Jenner the stark difference in skin tone I know that's race as well but if it was someone more mixed race, someone more lighter skinned, would they be treated the same way 
you see it all the time with celebrity culture, with normal life in general. You see the way people are treated. And especially when people talk about types and desirability and like, oh, I want a mixed race girl. You know, I want a fair-skinned mixed race girl. And you see it in songs as well. Like a lot of Wiley rap, comes to mind. Wiley came he to had, my he mind. Had a lyric where he was like, I want to see a light-skinned girl on the roads. And <laughs> I never saw it, but then, because I wasn't like searching through the lyrics, but... And even talking about mm. social media, it seems that every couple of months, someone's old tweets come to come to yeah. light, and it's usually them bashing women, but not just that they're bashing black dark skinned women. You know, I've mm. seen tweets go as far as talking about it's okay to sexually assault dark skinned women because they can handle it, quote unquote. <coughs> and and you hear things like this, and I'm they're like, not did people. every? But the thing is, the people who usually say those things look like the people that they're talking about, and to me, it seems yeah. like. A lot of people, especially the people who grew up in, in the UK, had a phase where they bashed dark-skinned black women because they were seen as less desirable, less less feminine. And so it was okay to put these certain attributes or talk about them in a certain way because they're, quote-unquote, not as gentle or not as feminine as they other women. They can take it. They can take it. So, like... um. You can keep beating them and beating them and beating them, but it's fine. And then all of a sudden it turns around back on them. Why are you upset over what I've said? You can take it. Yeah. And also they usually say it because they d- because people aren't typically there to defend those people that they're talking mm-hmm. about. One, um, I think, last comment that we can come from this um, that I want to really acknowledge is this whole idea of, you know, black women are a strong community and we can see from them that unity that is between them and i think that is a lesson to learn from you guys like how you guys can stick together and back your own and i think that's beautiful and i think we need to as much as we need to bring down boundaries between ourselves and like how we view black women that's obviously that is apparent that we need that to change these we need to learn something from them that's what i was going to say that is my my final comment we need to learn something from you guys we need to appreciate you and we need to take what you're saying not as a oh you're being angry you're being like you're being in a bit too sensitive because at the end of the day we're all exactly the same and your mm. your feelings matter at the end of the day your feelings really matter yeah i think as a black woman i'm tired of being strong i'm tired mm. of having to be okay with the independent black woman who doesn't need a man I say as I shake my head <laughs> trope. I, I think black women just want to be seen as every other woman without having to feel like we have to fight for our voice to be heard mm. or spaces to be, or for our, our humanity to be acknowledged is mm. the word. I think we just want to be, just be without someone else telling us how to be or, or forcing a certain stereotype upon us. But I don't think that time is going to mm. come anytime soon, but progress is being made. We hope we and we hope with this podcast again. Um, final notes before I go. Um, we hope that you got something out of this podcast. Well, sorry, this episode even, and that you listened to it and really understood what we were trying to say and where we were trying to come from, and these experiences that we've had, how they do affect you. But thank you Thanks for being for on the show today. It's been really lovely to have you. I've loved the passion in everything that you said. And I really do hope um, the audience does take away like what you've said and really appreciate it and appreciate you. And you're a strong (laughs) woman and I love it. I love it. I love it too. I love it too. (laughs) Thank you.